Welcome to the Kingdom Culture Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this spirit-filled message that it blesses your week and brings you joy and perspective. To connect with us, hop on social media and for more information, head to kingdomculturechurch.com.au. Wow. Thank you. Uh, it's lacking Scully's secret ingredient. <laughs> so you have to excuse my uh, voice. I've been battling the flu this week, but um, here we are. Thanks, worship team. That was incredible. So beautiful to have a, a worship team that's moved by the Holy Spirit. It really is. You know, we don't realize how blessed we are sometimes to have people who's <clears throat> in whose lives worship is not down here, it's up here. It's top of their priorities in life and that's such an amazing thing. So we're starting, um, we started this morning James, a new series in James, James the culture creator and we're in part two um, tonight. Um, and we were saying how James, and in fact many of the, uh, the people who wrote in the New Testament, the epistles, the, the different books of, of, of the New Testament, they were actually addressing culture. So they were people who decided, hey, so these were people, and the churches they were addressing were churches that had actually met Jesus, people that had met Jesus, been there physically with him, and, and that, that influence, and, that, and then the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So these were churches founded by people who had experienced that. And then um, James finds himself having to address culture and to say, hey, You've started like this, but we need to finish like this. And culture creators speak the truth when it's hard to do so. When it's not convenient, when it's inconvenient, when it's uncomfortable to do so. Fred and Anna came back from Singapore and they were telling um, this, uh, us the story of that, that church, which is, I've got the numbers right this time, unless I've been codulized again, but it's 1,500 people in the church. And, but they're a church that worship from back to front, like, as in from the back to the front. Everyone's got their hands in, everyone's dancing, everyone's worshipping God. Everyone's, when the preacher's preaching, they shout, Amen. or hallelujah, hallelujah, or shake that tree. <laughs> and you walking in there might think, wow, you know, this amazing, what a blessed pastor he was to inherit a church like that. But it actually took two or three or four, I'm not sure how many people, just standing at the, t- at the front for about three years on their own, lifting their hands up and worshipping and dancing when everyone was sitting there like, <laughs> you know, all offended. That is culture creating. And I think God is, is calling us to be a church that won't back down, that won't step back from the line that he's saying cross over. So that when we draw a line in the sand, we don't go, yeah, this week, and then, oh, not so sure this week. Culture creators keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Culture creators stand at the edge of the promised land and say, 
hey, we don't know how this is going to happen, but God, you've promised this land to us. God, we don't know how we're going to see milk and honey when there's all these enemies trying to kill us, but we believe you. And we believe that you said to us, everywhere you put the sole of your foot will be given to you. That is culture creating. That is culture shifting. Because they had to go into the land, the people of Israel had to go into that land and kick out all the other cultures that had been ingrained there and surpass them with the kingdom culture. We have a high calling on our church just by the name, by, because we can't call ourselves kingdom culture church if we're not going to be influenced by the culture of the kingdom. We have to. We have to. And it's not a burden. It's actually a joy to bring the kingdom culture to earth. It's a joy in our lives. And we were talking a bit about this this morning in James 1. It says, count it all joy or count it a sheer gift. It was a great version that um, Craig read out of this as well. But count it joy. And you know, in the moment, I don't feel joy when I'm being tested and tried and challenged. I don't feel that joy. I don't feel it. I don't get them feels. But... What he's saying is I'm sowing into your life and you will reap joy. You know, I'm reaping joy from stuff I sowed four years ago. I believe that. Decisions I made to not pass up on stuff that God was asking me to do, I'm reaping the joy of that now. I'm reaping the joy of coming to church and enjoying church and loving people. And it's just just how it is. So I want to... just set the scene for you because I don't, I'm not going to do this every week or we're not going to do this every week because we started off and there's a whole group of new people that I'm not going to repeat what I said this morning. You will have to uh, get the podcast for that. But, but I will just repeat one part, the setting up of it, which is James is writing to a scattered church. It's 16 years after the death, Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus, Jesus is writing to a people with a foundation of faith in Jesus, not, uh, not to unbelievers. James is writing sorry, to a people with foundation in Jesus, not to unbelievers. James was addressing culture and believers drifting towards no longer living a life full of the Holy Spirit. Paul addressed it as well in Galatians. He said, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Did you start in the spirit, now you're going to end in the flesh? It's the same sentiment that James was writing about. See, the whole purpose of James writing to a scattered church was to say, let's take this back to the Holy Spirit. And I believe for our church, and actually, Fred sent me a podcast of um, Carl Lentz uh, yesterday, and I, I started to listen a little bit of it. And... I'm just excited because it's not a case of, oh, we had that first, not at all. It's just you generally find when the Holy Spirit is like, right, there's this wave that rises up in the church. And I believe we've, we've, we've caught the wave early because Heather and I have been really feeling this the last few months that we need to chase the Holy Spirit, chase after the Holy Spirit what the, and what that means. And James really addresses what it means to go after the Holy Spirit. And it actually does include um, the gifts, and, but it also includes the fruit. Yeah. And we'll look at that a bit tonight. One of the most practical books in the Bible is James. 
and it can be summed up in one sentence. A faith that does not produce real life change is a faith that is worthless. A faith that does not produce real life change is a faith that is worthless. I don't want to live, I don't, don't want to waste my life centered around a faith that is dead. I want to live my life and you want to live your life around a faith that is living, breathing, inspiring, attractive, life-giving. He breaks it down into seven practical life lessons that show us how faith causes real life change. How faith, because we can talk about it and we can get excited on a night like this and it is exciting, it really is exciting and I, I feel the Holy Spirit on this, but he shows us how faith causes a real life change. And we're going to look at that over the five weeks of the series. So number one, and I'll list the seven for you now quickly. True faith stands up under trial and pressure. True faith stands up under trial and pressure. Genuine faith will motivate us to action. True faith will change how we talk. It's sobering, isn't it? True faith will motivate and change how we think. True faith avoids worldliness to pursue godliness. True faith avoids, avoids the misprioritizing and the misuse of earthly resources. Genuine faith motivates us to wait on God. It's important for us to understand in 2019 Australia that what James' frame of mind was when he penned this letter to the scattered believers. I moved to Australia in 1985, I emigrated in 1985 from England, and in those days it took 10 days for a letter to get to Australia uh, from England and 10 days back. And so it was really important because you couldn't have, couldn't just pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, what, what do you... People who wrote letters, they set the tone. So they might be saying, I'm having a rough week, so don't count this letter too much. Or we're having a great time and you hear all the good things that happened, the weather was great, visitors had come, we were on holidays and so on. The tone was set by the letter. And it's really important to understand that in all of the epistles, you'll, you'll find that the tone is set by the writer. And James is no different. You see, James does the same because in, <coughs> excuse me, in verse one, this is the only part of the verse I want to look at. It. In verse one of James one, it says, I, James, am a slave of God and the master Jesus, or I'm a love slave. And he, what he was saying was, this is the place, this is my headspace, this is my heart to you, is that I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. And he uses this phrase on purpose. He uses it on purpose because that word slave isn't just offensive now. I mean, I think it's really offensive now. I think you'd agree with me. It was offensive then because they were the lowest of the low. They had no life because their life was taken over by their master. They couldn't do a thing for themselves without him saying so. What was the point he was making? He was saying these letters that I'm writing, or these Gospels, or Jesus' words can only make sense if you're sold out to serve him. And I believe Jesus is bringing his church back to a place where we're sold out to serve him. And I'm excited, I really, really am excited, and 
Yes, for our adults, I, I, and I'm not excluding anyone, but I'm seriously excited about a, a church of young adults who are sold out for Jesus. Because when we get that, when we get what it means to be sold out, we, 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 it's not like we miss the problems, but it's like it just goes up a whole new realm, a whole gear shift, a whole change, a whole shift in the spirit. Because when we try to live our life half and half or pretending this and, and really hiding this and, and so on, it's just we know, all of us know, we've all done that in different, at different times in our lives. We just know it. it. When we try to half live the Christian life, it trips us up and it trips others, others up around us. You can't half live the gospel just like you can't half live your marriage or half raise your kids or half do your job, you'll be out in your ear. It's all or nothing. I believe the world is looking for a gospel like that. The world is looking for a gospel. I believe this world deserves a gospel like that. That's why whoever it was, I think it was Paul, said, you are epistles read of all men. You are letters. You are letters read of all men. And he's saying, make sure what they're reading is the truth. Make sure the words that are on your life, it's a picture, but on your life, are backed up by the life that's behind those words. I think our saviour, who didn't half die or half resurrect, deserves followers who are all in. He didn't half do it. He deserves your all. Beautiful surrender. We sing that song, and I just love that. And as usual, I'm not very good at the words, but I did look them up today. Locked into your arms for all eternity. Come and take my hand. I'm not going to sing it because my voice is disgusting tonight. Come and take my hand. You can lead me where you please. That beautiful surrender is chasing after me. I said, God, I surrender all my heart and soul to you, my love. Is that right? Let's not sing songs like that that are just words. Because this is what it's about, what we're talking about tonight. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is the truth of the gospel. It's serious and yet it's full of joy. It's sobering and yet it brings us life. So James is saying to the scattered church, you know, doing life without the Holy Spirit is doing life tough. And the first half of the chapter of uh, one, James 1, he is exhorting the church to count the tests and the challenges that they encounter as a sheer gift. Somebody say sheer gift. Sheer, sheer gift. Why? Because in that moment or the season of testing, it might be a season of testing, not just a moment. But in that moment or season, God is inviting us to an experience, an infilling of the Holy Spirit. He is inviting us to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. He is inviting us to walk deeper with the Holy Spirit. James sums it up this way. Genuine faith looks at every challenge or difficulty as an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to encounter the Holy Spirit, to walk with the Holy Spirit, to grow in deeper dependency with the Holy Spirit. You see, he is more than chills and thrills. And I love the chills and I love the thrills. 
And I have no issue praying for people and uh, seeing them touched by the Holy Ghost. Absolutely not. But James is saying, hey, encounter with the Holy Spirit brings fruit. Encounter with the Holy Spirit brings gifting. Encounter with the Holy Spirit brings a changed life. Saying, don't let your tests or challenges define you. You know, we sometimes pray for people who have been, they've allowed their tests and the trials of life to define them and they can't get free. It could be people in here like that tonight, but you are not the trials that you're experiencing. They're only to bring out the gold in you. They're only actually to invite you into more of the Holy Spirit. He never brings a trial that you're left in it. I mean, that's just sick. He actually... You know, allow. You know, I was saying this morning. I, I sent Gab. We sent Gabby to Grace Caboolture, but you know, I expect them to test her. I want my money back if they didn't, because I want to know that she's learning stuff and and she's growing in her education and, and so on. And you know, ha- sometimes we we're so dim. You know, we go. You know, stuff arises and problems come up, and you know, and and uh, I think Heather and I've been. Laughing a little bit lately, you know, we get a bad phone call or something like that, and I put the phone, I go, sheer gift, sheer gift. (laughs) But let's not let those things define us. Because who we are when we're worshipping him, who we are when we're alone in his presence, who we are when we are encountering the Holy Spirit, who we are related is who we really are. You know, but just when you think James has been punchy enough, he gives another jab to the solar plexus and he takes it one step further. And we're going to read that in James 1, verse 19 to 21. We're reading in the English Standard Version tonight. I know. Shaking it up. Keeping us on our toes. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I just want to break this down a little bit. Clearly, anger was becoming a problem to address it so strongly. James quantifies something for us in these verses. And what he's saying is it's great that you want to do well. So at the beginning of the James 1, he's saying, count it all joy when, you fall, when trials come against you and you're surrounded by trials. Count it all joy. And it's great that you want to do well when you're under pressure. But you also have to learn the skill of treating people fairly, pleasantly, and kindly when you're under pressure. Even the most obnoxious ones. In fact, especially the most obnoxious ones. And what he's saying is, listen much, speak little, be slow to anger. Another way of putting that is love a lot. It's hard to love when you're angry. When I, Rob Porter, am under pressure, when I feel like life is pushing me around, it's just so hard to hear what the other person is saying. I don't know about you. You all look so lovely. 
in this ambient darkness. It's hard to hear what other people are saying when you're off. It's hard to see their point of view. Because people are stupid. And that's the sort of position we can take up. There are, like I say, many people in the congregation tonight who are just pure loveliness. And you will pray for me later. When I'm under pressure, I find I have a lot to say. She says, listen, have little to say. But I find I've got a lot to say when I'm under pressure about everything. I have an opinion on everything, everyone, every time. Everything's intensified. My opinion is amazing. So let's talk about anger. We're going somewhere with this. See, James does. He's not frightened to talk about anger. See, anger, and I'm sort of chopping a bit of a Bill Johnson phrase, but anger is a necessary release of pressure, but through illegitimate means. Anger is a necessary release of pressure, but through illegitimate means. See, I want this James study that we're doing to be real for us, not just a clinical analysis. I really believe God wants to change our lives over the next five weeks. Really, really, really. I believe if we will camp around this, if we will allow the Holy Spirit, and we, it, we look at this in a minute about implant the word, if we allow that word to get a grip in our soul, we're going to find our lives are changed over these five weeks. And that's what it's all about. So I want it to be real. See, I actually would have preferred someone else to do this segment because I have had to deal with anger at different times in my life. Now, yes, we're all human and time, but I, I recognise that it has been a problem, I suppose, um, and I still have to deal with it at times. And when I was a kid, I, my, the anger came out of sulking. Like really bad sulking. I used to I used to have this big bottom lip. <laughs> it used to stick out. My dad used to say, "You're going to trip over that." Um, I don't mean that my life has been defined by anger, or me being an angry person. But it, anger has ambushed me, and those around me on occasion. What can be a really valid point? or a really important strategy can get blown out of the water when presented angrily. Or a position, or a, something that you're trying to get across. But the thing is, that anger rarely starts out as anger. And to borrow a bit of the message from this morning, anger is the love child of poor thinking and pressured circumstances. It really is. It starts like this. It's not fair. It's not fair. Now, I used to run away from home when I was a kid for many reasons. Sometimes because I wasn't getting my way. Sometimes because I was happy, unhappy with the circumstances. I used to go up this favourite tree and sit at the top of it for a few hours. And then I would come home and think, there, they would have missed me. And my mum would go, oh, you're back. Um, could you set the table, please, for dinner? I'm like... I have been missing for two hours. 
Anger starts by sulking. Sadly, adults sulk. We don't call it that. We call it like reflection or... But adults can be really sulky. I'm going to be more direct. You can be really sulky. But we've just... Kids don't know how to hide it. Adults really do. What they do is they withdraw in a relationship. They just miss that thing, or they just say something a little bit... You know what I'm saying? This is what he's talking about. The root of anger. See, anger's the issue, but really there's roots. It starts off with, you deserve better than this. It starts off as you are misunderstood. It starts off as you are being taken advantage of. It can be a result of frustration from having to wait, to move in patience and feeling powerless to change your circumstances. I have to say often that has been the root of any anger I've experienced, is feeling powerless to change a situation. And it makes me react in ways I regret. Anger is a release of pressure, but that isn't what has caused the pressure to build. See, why does James target anger so directly, so forcefully? Because out of all the reactions to pressure, and some people don't get angry, they just withdraw, but that can be as bad. Some people shut down, that can be a killer. Some people give in to temptation. That can wipe you out. That's not to justify anger. Anger is the one thing that can affect so many people. I I don't remember that scene in Titanic. I was trying to remember it, but I I don't know why I'm smiling. It must be the drugs. But when the ships ships are going... Codrol. Oh, Lord. I just know they're going to beep that out, so that's okay. But there's that scene in Titanic where basically the engine room blows up and all the people are just burnt horribly because of the steam and all of that sort of thing. But that is what anger is like. It's like white hot and it scars. And that's why he talks about it so serious. Anger is a bully. Whether it's red-hot, explosive, or white-cold, simmering, vengeful, sulky. See, anger promotes nothing but insecurity, fear, and instability in a home. And, you know, anger will never produce a good harvest. James says that. Anger will never produce the righteousness of God, it says in James. And it's important we talk about these sorts of things, and it's important we will throw it open for prayer tonight. Um... Because honestly, where, if you can't get help in the house of God, if you can't get prayer in the house, if we can't be ourselves in the, in the house of God, then we have a real issue. Yeah. But this is not like a self-help group. This is a, hey, let's bring this to the Holy Spirit and allow him yeah. to plant a word in your life and to deal with it yeah. and to learn new habits and learn new ways of walking with the Holy Spirit. See, anger is a culture buster, not a culture creator. It will never create good culture. It will always shut it down. 
But it's really important that we understand that interaction with the Holy Spirit is for what reason? It's always to deepen our relationship with him. Well, the result of that encounter, the, the, that intimacy, that being filled with the Holy Spirit, is to what end? It's to bring a harvest. It's not just to have an encounter. It's to bring fruit in our lives so that the fruit of anger drops off and the fruit of patience comes forward. So the fruit of anger drops off and the fruit of love comes to the fore. The fruit of anger drops off and gentleness shines through. The fruit of anger drops off and long-suffering takes its place. Anger drops off and faith rises up so that I'm no longer angry at my circumstances. I'm excited about what God's going to do in my circumstances and how he's going to raise me up and bring joy in my life. So joy in my life and faith will arise again and we'll build on that. You see, as believers in 2019 Australia, we know our way around the gifts of the Spirit. We do. And that's not, it's wonderful that we do. But just like James was exhorting to this scattered church, time with the Holy Spirit will result in fruit of the Holy Spirit. Time with the Holy Spirit will result in fruit of the Holy Spirit. Time with the Holy Spirit will result in fruit of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So while he specifies anger in verse 21, he also then goes on to say that the word is our plumb line. So when you're under pressure, be faithful. The word of God that you've received, he's saying, when you're under pressure, be faithful. Don't let your mouth slip. Don't hit the reset button on your standards. When you're under pressure, don't hit the reset button on your standards. When you're under pressure, don't be lazy. That's the time to lean in, not out. When you're under pressure, don't get slack or careless. When you're under pressure, don't seek comfort from illegitimate means. Now, just very, 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 very quickly, sometimes people talk about righteous anger. That comes from Ephesians 4.26, be angry and sin not. Yeah, because Jesus definitely threw out the money changers. He didn't sort of tiptoe in and go, "Um, if it's okay, look, a bit awkward. (laughs) Could you possibly, look, by 5.30, shift your tables out? Because this is my father's house and we'd like it back if that's okay with the rest of you. Now, he went in there and he threw them out. So there wasn't anger. But you see, righteous anger is a response to actual sin, not a response to somebody treating us badly. This means that for anger to be righteous, it cannot arise out of a response to a violation of my preferences or that my rights or freedoms would be trampled on. It's a righteous anger is a break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. God and his kingdom, his rights, his concerns, not me, my kingdom, my rights and my concerns. So what I'm really feeling to say to you is, and I feel like James was saying, is just avoid anger. 
You know, I do find it interesting that we sort of go, what about righteous anger? It's like, probably you don't have righteous anger if you feel like that. He's probably, <laughs> you probably just want to be angry. And you know what? Righteous anger isn't a group of people standing outside of an abortion clinic shouting at people you're going to go to hell. That's not righteous anger. Because what you've mixed up, not you, but what one has mixed up is that God hates the sin, but those people are made in his image. And so righteous anger is about the sin but not screaming at people, you're going to hell. It's one of my favourite passages, that bit there, where it says, um, so I've just got to scroll back. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with me. It's my favourite in the King James Version because in the King James Version it says, put away all superfluity of naughtiness. And it's just such a great phrase. Superfluity of naughtiness. Superfluity of naughtiness. It sort of reminds me of Bianca and Heather. Sisters of superfluity of naughtiness. Just when they're in their naughty moments. James goes on hey guys since we're being honest here he goes into verse 22 be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in doing. He's saying, don't let anger push you around. Don't rely on grubby, carnal practice to get your own way, but do the word. Because he talks about being a doer. That word means a performer of the word. Like, you know, we talk about, oh, we don't want a performance mentality, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying it actually means, the actual word is from where we get the word poet. Be a poet of the word. Let the word move you to action. Let it flow in your life like a poem. You know, when I first started going out with Heather, or through our life, actually, I used to write her poems... And I have on occasion done that since. Why? Because I wanted to move her to action. I wanted her to love me. I wanted her to know what was in my heart. I could have just written a letter or told her. But it was another way of doing that. That's how the word is supposed to be in our lives. It's supposed to be something that moves us. It's supposed to be something that flows in our lives. That is a beautiful thing. See, her love brought creativity out in me. God's love for us should prompt us to have a positive response to the word. Yeah. 
we get the band up, that'd be amazing. Thank you. See, the word should prompt a correct response with us because it's coupled with the Holy Spirit. Coupled with the Holy Spirit, the word of God is powerful. It's so powerful. Poetry is attractive. All God's creative said. Amen. Amen. Oh, wow, that was... Maybe I should have said it. Poetry is attractive. And all God's creative said... Hallelujah. You know, when we read the word of God, when we hear the word of God, the response should be action in us. Not, oh, this is nice, I'm just sort of bathing in it. It should be action. In the last 20 years, we talked about this this morning, we've had been able to have every version of the Bible. I've got 30 or 40 versions of the Bible just sitting on my iPhone. Never has access to the word of God been so easily available. And yet, still the words of James ring true. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. Be doers of the word, not hearers. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. You know, every big name preacher is available at the touch of a button. And I want to be honest, like James, if your your go-to is a podcast preach, or if your go-to is a blog, or if your go-to is a, a um, devotional. There's nothing wrong with these things. But if your go-to is that, rather than, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me from your word? Sometimes that can cause, those things can cause a distance when he's wanting intimacy with us. Let's be hearers of the word, and let's be doing it. James talks about the implanted word. And that's really important because it means engrafted. And, um, you know, I believe podcasts and conferences and preaching, they can actually be a bit like a band-aid that's covering a wound. When really what God is wanting to do is implant the word, engraft the word into that wound. Because you have to wound the stock of the tree. And Sess is here, so I'm, I'm really mucking it up. He knows all about grafting. But you have to wound that stock and slip that cutting into it so that it can take. And we were talking about this this morning. So often the gift that God is giving us is the circumstances that we're currently in. And if we would take the time to unpack those, if we would hang around long enough for that graft to take, we would have a root in ourselves. Going back to the beginning of James, it says, so don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Planted means to graft in, to take root. Mark 4 talks about parable of the sow and the different soils, and it talks about because there was no root in them. And this is what God is talking about. It's to have a root in yourself. Have a root in yourself have a root in yourself because you sometimes we're looking for stability outside and God is saying hey I've put stability I'm building stability in you stop looking in it for friends stop looking for stability in in all these places go for the stability that the Holy Spirit is building in you 
internal roots grow in dark, damp places. And let's be honest, we love the light and the warmth. We love the light and the warmth. We don't value the damp, dark places of our lives at times when stuff just isn't happening and you know, life doesn't seem so good. But we need to thank God for the dark, damp places because that's where the root starts to take a hold. That's where it's really at. The word James says is like holding a mirror up to your face and realising who you really are. I used to read the word and I used to feel condemned. Honestly, I could never match up to all this glorious high living. And... But you know, we don't read the word to see where we're not, but to realise again who we are. And when we realise who we are, it actually makes us realise we can go to where it wants to take us, where the Holy Spirit wants to take us. So we don't read it to beat ourselves up. We read it for him to encourage us, to show us where he wants to take us. We read it because it reveals who we are. It's like putting a mirror in front of your face and he's saying, hey, this is you. This is, your, this is you, the new creation. The new creation. This is what James is saying. When you act and talk about these things and then you just go out and act carnally, you're actually saying, I've forgotten who I really am. So when we act angrily, when we act in the flesh, when we do these things, so all he's doing is encouraging and saying, hey, keep lifting that mirror up of the word. Keep lifting it up. Keep reading it. Keep looking at yourself. Keep, keep yourself in fellowship. Keep yourself coming back to church. Keep worshipping. Keep praying. Keep yourself amongst the saints. Hold that mirror up and you will see who you really are. Stop looking in the world to get a, a correct reflection of who you are. It's distorted. The world will distort your, your perception of who you are. But the Word, the Holy Spirit, will give you clarity. And finishing, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world that word religion can also be translated worship so let me read it back to you again if anyone thinks he is a worshipper and he doesn't bridle his tongue this is not talking about the worship team because we are all worshippers that's our first calling in God is to be a worshipper so if anyone thinks he is a worshipper and doesn't bridle his tongue that means Take a hold of it and shut it down when it needs to be. Or take a hold of it and speak when it should be speaking. He deceives his heart. This person's worship is worthless. Worship that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The worship mandate on Kingdom Culture Church is a serious thing but not a heavy serious thing. It's a serious thing because we want to see that happen, don't we? We want to see the, the mandate on King of God Church for worship come to its fruition, to, to mature and go where God wants it to go. But it should always cause us to live outwardly, not inwardly. Always cause us to live outwardly, not in, inwardly. You see, at this point in time, King of Culture Church is looking into the promised land and we're holding hands, as it were, with the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, stretch out your hand. 
I'm just stretching out this and saying, expand to us. That's what he's saying to us. I always remember Christine Kane, I think it was about 10 years ago, maybe even more, we went down to um, a Hillsong conference and, and she was talking about, um, you know, if Hillsong Church was only ever known for worship, that would be a tragedy. They need to be known for the pure religion, pure worship, which is loving the loveless, caring for the rejected, loving the loveless, caring for the rejected. That is true worship. And then James finishes with, he sort of throws this in at the end, keep yourselves unspotted from the world. And that word is the same word as used for the spotless lamb. But this is not living separate from the world so we don't get contaminated. This is the thought of Jesus, the healer, going to a leper, healing him of leprosy, whereas in times past, he would have been infected by the leprosy and been counted unclean. The spotless lamb of God takes away the spot of the leprosy, the leper. And what James is saying is, let our presence in the world affect the world for good by having the fruit of the Spirit, by being doers of the Word, not just hearers, and by having true worship. Worship that is a lifestyle, not just a word. Worship that is reaching out to those that are lost, those that are loveless. Amen? Amen.